Okay, so today I wanted to talk about Hanukkah. I'm going to connect it to what we're learning, but not for too long. Okay. <laughs> Just because I wanted to have a chance. Do you ever have, like, you know, when you go through Hanukkah and, like, you're like, wait, it's the seventh day of Hanukkah? <laughs> and then, like, I'm just starting to get in the mood of it. Sometimes that happens to me, sometimes. Um, today, it came to my mind, because one of the little kids outside, I was coming into school, a little kid running into class, and he says, today's the last day of Hanukkah. And I thought, I'm sure what he meant is tonight is the last night we're lighting candles. And then I thought... Like, oh, that's, that's cute. And then I was like, oh, I'm not sure if that's cute or that's sad. Like, it's just a really small kid. Like, this yeah, was not a commentary exactly. on him. It was on my own thoughts and my own mind, right? My own thoughts like, oh, tonight's the last night. And then like, well, that means tomorrow's the last day of Hanukkah. And then so how come it would feel like today's the last day if tonight I'm lighting? What makes tomorrow feel like Hanukkah? For any of us, right? Yeah, like, I mean, for me, anyway, right? So I, I was kind of, like, mulling that over as I walked in this morning. That was kind of, like, my, my welcome back to school during Hanukkah day, which was, like, <laughs> so why would the day feel like Hanukkah at all? Rather, in the evening, so you're lighting the candles and doing something. Mm-hmm. But it's not Yanta if we're, like, that's not my topic today. This is just what was going on in my head when I came in. Like, hmm. Like, I think I'm missing something. <laughs> I do think I am missing something, and I'm not oh. sure I have what the answer is. So I was like, okay, well, when you say al-hanisim, davening and benching, and then that, that took me down another line of thinking about benching and not benching enough and, you know, like commitment to benching. I heard an interesting statement from Rav Leichter. He's like, so why do you bench? And this does tie into what we're going to talk about. When we're benching, um, how come... We mention also not only the food, but Eretz Yisrael and the dead of Betar, who are mentioned indirectly in the fourth bracha, and Yerushalayim, and Brismila, and Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. And he says, so what do you think? He has this way of, I don't know if you ever heard him on recording, like he has a very blunt way of saying things. He says, so you think that Chazal figured that once they trapped you because you got a bench, they're going to add in all these other things. <laughs> and it was like such a funny comment. I was like, no, I didn't think that. And then I thought, but yeah, why? I mean, we do like, so like, why is benching so long, right? And we all get this sort of like, oh, the commitment to benching, right? Benchophobia, or like, you're not going to wash because you're going to have to bench. And, and then I thought, that's because, you know, you have to bench. But how many times have I forgotten to make a bracha achrona when I didn't wash? Like a boring afashos or an alamechia. Yeah. So it's not, it's not really, well, I'll have to bench, but it's not such a big deal to make a smaller benching, so therefore those things don't spook me because if I felt so committed to those, I probably wouldn't forget them. Like, I'm less likely to forget to bench, like, after bread than I am after a drink of orange juice because I'm not really settled in the meal. I'm just drinking a glass of orange juice, and then there's always something that comes up in the middle. Mm-hmm. If I sat through, if I sat down and ate and then finished, it would be one thing. But that has not been my life for, like, 25 years. It has not involved, like, sitting down to eat and not getting up until I'm done. And that sometimes is a problem. So that's, like, something I work on and something I have to figure out, you know, like, what are my strategies and whatever. But... All these ideas led one to the, to the other. He said, no, it's not because Hazal figured that once they have you caught 
in your benching. I mean, Chazal didn't make up benching. That's a that's a mitzvah oraisa. But once you're trapped by the Torah into sitting down, they're going to stick all these other things in while you're there. That's not it. It's that that's what you taste in the food. You actually could be experiencing a sense of Yitzhiya Mitzrayim in a set, like all, you could experience all of that out of your food. Mm-hmm. So that's not our topic today, but he was giving that as an example of panemius. So what's, what's the concept of panemius? And that will kind of launch us in over here. There's panemius, which we would say, let's say, is internal reality, actually requires an externalization. Why is that? We would think that the more internal it is, the less external there is. But it's actually two sides of a coin. If you say that something is the internal, that means there is an external to it because it's inside of something, right? If something is internal, it's inside of something. That's true with the word pneem also, inside. It's only inside because there is an outside. There's only an outside because there's an inside. It's the two sides of the coin. It's the reverse and the obverse or whatever, right? Like it, having one demands the other side. So panemius, to the extent that it demands that there's a chitzonius attached to it, by, just by the fact that we're using the word panem at all, is an aspect of physical reality. It's the internal side of it. It's the deeper side of it. It's the spiritual side of it. But once we're in the world of talking about panemius versus chitzonius, we're saying that they, they both are there. And that a panemius, which is not expressed on the outside, is not a panemius. It may be some sort of machshavadika-like thing there, but it's not really an internalization. All this helps us a little bit, really, to understand what happens with ourselves, really. Like when you act on something, on a feeling, and you say, I'm going to take an action because of the feeling, right? I'm feeling very like loved by God in that moment and so I want to do something for him and I actually do an action if I just look at the action it's really small it doesn't at all seem to represent the bigness of the feeling inside and yet it really does it holds in it the power of the feeling that I had and if I don't take an action then I can hang on to the bigness of the feeling but then it fades and it doesn't last and there is nothing left at the end so the chitzonius expresses the panemius. And so the way Rav Leichter took this, this was also a Hanukkah shir, he took this in a direction of talking about, really about mission and purpose and deepening what we do. You could be taking the same action. You could be eating breakfast or you could be getting married or you could be working in a job and earning a living. You can, there's a lot of things you can do, big and small. And if the reason you're doing them is for their results, there's not very much panemius being demonstrated in that chitonius. But in the same action, if in your mind you know that this is part of, if, you're, if in doing your work, right, that's an expression of 
your mission to the world and how you bring light and influence others and right like if that's what you do and it doesn't really matter you could be a clerk in Costco or you could be a teacher teaching small children but if in your mind you understand this as part of your mission and that Hashem is placing you somewhere in order that you will be an influence and a and an example and just in who you are not because you have to like you know go around evangelizing to people then good morning then that same action becomes the same action is then whoops sorry now is an expression of a panemistic kite that exists that's inside of you that maybe was not expressed by those actions previously okay so there's the inside and there's the outside and that is at its most perfect what the world is because with the world we have this physical world right my mind I'm seeing like my four row table but we have this physical world but it is all an expression of a panemius it's all an expression of a spiritual reality the physical reality is an expression of the spiritual reality of Hashem's word and Hashem's will if so then since our topic is Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad that's where we're up to in Shema so the real inner deepest reality is really only one and if the real deepest inner reality is only one, what do we, what do we look at? Well, in Shema, we, we really work toward the oneness. And yet, and yet, we say Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad. Which means, my experience is Hashem Elokeinu. And now I'm having an avoda of moving that toward Hashem Echad. It's possible to have moments of Hashem Echad sense. Hashem Echad is always, but for us to sense it. Most of the time our experience is Hashem Elokeinu to the point where Chazal said, Kishem Shem Mevarcham Al We have to thank Hashem for the good and we have to thank Hashem for the bad. And when we hear good news, we say Baruch Atov HaMetiv. And when we hear sad or bad news, we say Baruch Dayan HaEmes. Really, everything should be hatov ha-metiv. And in fact, Chazal say, what is the difference between this world and the next world? In this world, we say dayan ha-emes and hatov ha-metiv. And in the next world, in the future world, only hatov ha-metiv. There will be no bracha of dayan ha-emes. What does it mean there's no bracha of dayan ha-emes? It's not our topic for today. We've talked about it in the past with regard to, to benching, actually, um, and Rosh Hashanah. But a world of only hatov ha-metiv is a world where you can see that everything is all good. No matter what happens, you, you see and feel and understand and experience it all as good. As working toward the tov. Kitov. Ayarlikim is or kitov. But in the meantime, in this world, we really do experience it. Right? Chazal is saying you're going to have a bracha for, for things that appear to be ra. And you're going to have a bracha for things that are tov. Because Hashem Elokeinu is what we experience. And Hashem Echad is what we strive toward experiencing. Okay. So there is, in our experience in this world, there is that duality. There is, in general, let's put it this way, just like panemius is the other side of chitonius. So in a way it's one and in a way it's two. It's one thing, because they're back to back, like the coin, but it's two aspects. 
in this world, that's like at the physical level, that is the peak of unity, is understanding that it's two sides of one coin and it's just the angle that I'm looking at. Okay? Really, there's a deeper kind of unity that we can't fully grasp, where it's all actually one, not aspects, not anything, one. But where we sit, the, the deepest unity we tend to be able to achieve is understanding that these are all aspects of a one. And it just depends which side we're at. Okay. This moves us then to the question of why did the Torah begin, why does the Torah begin with a base? Right? What does the Medrash say? The Torah should begin with an olive. If Hashem Echad and everything is coming from there, why does the Torah begin with an olive? With a base, not an olive. So I heard a very, very interesting Torah from Rav Moshe Eisman, also a recording. And he says, Look at Rashi over there. So I think actually, yes, this is here. Okay, so this is source olive. Barashas bar Elokim, It's the first pasuk in the Torah. And Rashi says, this is not the first section of the Rashi, but within the Rashi is over there on that pasuk. Barashas bar. Ein hamikra hazeh omer eladarsheni. This pasuk says nothing. No, this pasuk screams out, "Explain me." Kavosha darashu rabosenu bishvil Torah shenikres rashis darko. As Chazal have explained it, for the sake of Torah, biracious means for racious, bishvil racious, the Torah which is called racious darko, first of his paths, and bishvil Yisrael, shenikra'u racious tuvuaso, for the sake of the Jewish people who are called the first of his harvest. Why is that so? Why does this Pasuk scream out, explain me? Why do Hazal have to say it is bishvil rachis? The imbas lefarsho kipshuto, because if you wanted to explain it in the simplest basic translation, kach pershu berachis briah shamaim va'aretz, you need to add in a few words. You'd have to say in the beginning of the creation of heavens and earth. Not berachis bar elokim. You have to say berachis briah shamaim va'aretz, bar elokim. Or something like that. Okay, so maybe you say, well, no, because it has to be in a certain order. Not clear that the Torah is telling us about Barashas to give us the blow-by-blow scientific evolution of the world as it was blown into reality. But certainly Torah could have said Barishona. At first, Bara Elohim is Hashemai Vesaretz. Torah doesn't say that. Ain lecha racious ba mikra. There's no place in the Torah where the word racious is used, she'eno dovuk l'teva shal acharav, and is not attached to the next word. Okay, the word racious means in the beginning of. It doesn't mean in the beginning. It means in the beginning of. So the word racious always gets attached to another word, a nismach. Nismach means the word that's connected. For example, beracious mamlechas yehoyakim. In the beginning of the kingdom of Yehoiakim. The beginning of the, of the rulership of Yehoiakim. Okay? Or, Reishis Mamlachto. The beginning of his Malchus. Reishis Dagancha. The first of your grain. You hear? It, it means the first of. It doesn't just mean in the beginning. It means the beginning of. So the Torah starts off with, in the beginning of, Hashem created the heavens and the earth. Hey, you understand why he started off by saying this puzzle demands explanation? 
<laughs> and he says it in a very literal way. Like this pasuk is like screaming out, demanding explanation. Mm-hmm. Because you cannot explain it without a drash. Okay, now, let's just stop for one second. Hashem wrote the Torah as he wanted it to be for us, to learn from. He could have said, Barishona He could have thought of that, <laughs> right? And he didn't. Let's say, as Rashi said, if you want to read it according to the Pshat, in the beginning of the creation of the heavens and the earth God created, Hashem could have written that. And he didn't. You have to like look back at what that, that Rashi actually was a very strong statement. Ain ha mikra hazet omer ela darsheni. Let's take this more literally, okay? I'm following, I'm not, I would not do this on my own, but I'm like following Rabbi Eisenman's lead over here, okay? Because it's a, it's a gutsy read. Mm-hmm. Look at what Rashi's saying. This Pasuk says nothing other than explain me. What, what if we took Rashi at his word? Because by the way, he could have left that part out. What if we took him at his word? What if in fact, the Torah begins with a missing word? Or the second word is the missing word. The first word is voracious. The second word's missing. There's no nismach. There is no second word. Okay. That Hashem did that on purpose. He, he knew what he was doing, and he wrote the Torah such that from the very first word, you cannot read it without a Torah Shabbat Peh. Ein hamikra haseh omer ela darsheni. This word is saying one thing. Explain me. The Torah is saying, explain me. It's an awesome reading of the Rashi. Right, so it's needed from the it's very true. first word. It's obvious the, it's very the very first word of Torah Shavichtav demands, demands, screams out, explain me. I need a Torah Shavah Peh. Mm-hmm. It all has been. Okay. And my suggestion is, so that's why it starts with a base. Not with an olive. Because the instant in that base, the will of God becomes, okay, the, the Kabbalists talk about, about the Torah as combinations of letters, right? Creation as combinations of letters, where the letters themselves, the shapes, the meanings, the, the gematrias, all of these are expressions of spiritual realities. Okay, the... And they say that there could be different, com- that Hashem in creating this world, there's a set number of combinations, and that's what we see as the written Torah. Okay. The instant, nanosecond, like less than that, right? As soon as God's will becomes expressed, not as machshava, but as word, which is then the act of creation, it takes the form starting with Bayes, not Aleph. Because Hashem is Echad. But this world, Echad, is expressed as duality. Mm-hmm. Not duality that's separate, duality that's back to back. Chitonius and Pneumius. Because the physical world, that creation, act of creation, is an expression of a spiritual reality. 
the act of creation is the act of that baseness, right? Of having now an outer world that appears, that, that can be a place where you can see that which is spiritually in back of it. Okay, that's Bayes. That's what it's for. That's the whole world is for. Look into me and see what's, in the, what's inside. Okay? The Rambam says, you can look at the world and appreciate God from this. You can come to love Hashem through examination of the world. Avram Avinu did it. Avram Avinu looked at it. That's what the mentor says. Right? He saw the sun, he saw the moon, he saw the wind and the clouds and the mountains, right? And he realized that, yeah, he studied, he studied the universe that God made and he looked beyond and he saw that this is an expression of spiritual reality. Okay, what is, if the purpose of this world is to be this kind of physical zone in which spirituality is expressed in our actions and in the creation that God has made. There's something that can go wrong, right, with the Rambam's suggestion over there. We all know it. All right, Rav Hirsch writes about it in um, Judaism Eternal. There's these essays that go according to, according to the months. So for Kislev, he writes about this. He says... Woe to you if the greatest gift God gave you, which is your thinking and critical mind, you use to study the world and never go beyond the external. What does that have to do with Kislev? Well, isn't that Greek Chachma? <laughs> right, that's all the sciences. Mm-hmm. I'm going to study it only to a certain point. Right. Never, but, but, <laughs> but why? <laughs> Okay, that's not even an appropriate question necessarily for science to say why. At least that's what we've been trained to. They can never say why. That at best, science should say how or what, but never why. Right? When I was a kid, I used to read Scientific American, and at the back of Scientific American, my dad thought I was crazy, the back of Scientific American, there was this article once by an astronomer talking about Big Bang Theory and how now nobody thinks that's a theory, that's like accepted as a fact which is great, my husband always says. So we got to the part about, like, voracious. We got to that word. There was a beginning. Because before that, like, when we were children, there were still a lot of people saying that the world was, that the universe was infinite, like it had always existed, right? So, like, that's a start. If we could say there was a beginning, like, we're moving in the direction of voracious bar elokim, right? So start with voracious. Um, and they were saying, so what came before that? That's not really a job for scientists. Our job is that we study the world, we study the universe as it is. Okay, so on the one hand, that was like a really refreshing and realistic thing because a lot of scientists do go further and they say, so therefore, like this, since they don't see a sign of God, there isn't one. And he was saying, no, we have no idea what came before, right? But really, that's Chachma Yevonis. That's the danger of Chachma Yevonis. The world wasn't created for non-Jews either to look at the world and study it and never see anything beyond that. Okay, that's not what it's for. The purpose of the world is to be which is elsewhere in the Rashi on the first Pasuk of Rashi's. The world is created there so that through the power and might of God's creation, we come to discover that he's there and appreciate that he's there. So what is the difference between Chachma Yivanis and Chachma Satar? Um, so that's one big difference. 
is, are you looking only at the chitzonius of the world? Or are you looking at chitzonius as a means to see pneumius? Are you trying to look at it and look through it? You know, you look at it. Are you looking at, um, at the curtain and seeing there's all these bumps sticking out? Picture the Kodesh HaKadoshim, if you will, right? And you have a parochus in front of it, and there's these two bumps sticking out. Did you know that? Okay, if you were in the base of Mikdash and you looked at the Kodesh HaKadoshim, you couldn't go in, probably, right? But you would actually see two bumps sticking out mm. because the badim of the Aron were longer and they stuck, they poked through mm. so that you had these bumps sticking out. That's, that's how, okay, inside the Kodesh HaKadoshim, it's not purely a physical space, right? It's this like crazy, blurry, half physical, half spiritual space. When, when, when Chazal say it's where heaven and earth meet, it's because that's where heaven and earth meet. Okay, so the, like the proportions don't work right. Time, space, matter, all gets really blurry in there. When you look at the world, you look at this curtain, you're, the point is you're supposed to see that there's something behind it pushing it out. Right? What's that, the Wizard of Oz? There's a man behind the curtain, <laughs> right? <laughs> there's somebody behind the curtain. You're not supposed to just look at the curtain. Like, it's really nice. You could sit there in the, in the base on Mekdash and, like, study the beautiful embroidery of the parochas. But if you never notice that there's badim sticking through and contemplate what's on the other side, you have totally missed the point. All right. That's Chachmei Vanessa Chachma Torah and Chachma of Torah. There's also another interesting one, which Rav Leichter said. He, he gave us a different contrast. He said, they are both Chachmas that at their most ideal seek to change a person. He says, this is the reason why they battle with one another. Because you only have a battle. You have a Milchama in the place where you both want to be. You don't have the battle in the place where, that's fine, I'm in my country, you're in your country, who cares? Right? It's only when there's an encroachment or some kind of tension between what you're doing and what I'm doing. That tension comes at the point of seeking to change or affect the people. Right? That, that's, that that's what it should do. The humanities, right? They're not supposed to just educate you. It's supposed to like make you somehow a better, finer person in theory. And I, lo- I just thought this was a fascinating distinction. It gave me something really to think about. He says, with Chachma Yevonis, the goal is to impact the other person with the power of the storyteller. So whether that's literature, poetry, right? I mean, there's, you have all the Greek, like the Odyssey, and the, right? Stories, the arts. The goal is that the better the storyteller, the more impact the story will have upon the listener. With Torah, the goal is to impact the other person through the power of the receiver the power of the listener, of the hearer, not the power of the speaker. Okay? So the Medrash, or even an Agatha that tells a story, it's one or two lines. You could tell it over all flowery and exciting. Bali Musa do that a lot. But, but if you look at the source, it's very small. Why? Because you need to invest the work into now conceptualizing it and building it up and understanding how it applies and what that would be like if it were in bigger. Because if you only get changed by something that's affecting you outside and you don't do any of the work inside, you, you could become, at best, more so 
but you can't change or be built on the inside. You could progress, like if you're already moving in a certain direction, you could, you could get inspired to move further. I mean, good stories can do that, right? But they can't change your track. That comes from the work you do in extrapolating, in building, in making the connections, in seeing how it affects other things in your life. That's an internal work to develop the concept. There's a, there's a dialogue there. And I, I, that is part of, that is part of that concept of Beratius, the Torah starting with a base and saying Darshani. The Torah seeks to teach us with our participation because that's how we grow. The Torah is their lehoros to teach us. And in order to teach and influence us, it's a much deeper kind of teaching than Chachma Yavanis. When the Torah was translated into Greek, it was a tragedy. We're approaching it rapidly. That's a Sarat Bateves. That's a tragedy. When the story's just told and you can just read the Bible. And, and there's no voracious, wait a minute, something's missing. What is that about? What's missing? Can I figure that out? Can I find out? Does somebody say? Like, that process changes you. And now you become different. Hanukkah is also along that pattern. Right? We know the light, and it corresponds to Torah. And it's a very small amount of light. But it builds up and builds and builds and builds and builds. It grows. This kind of expansion, and it required a lot of Messiris Nefesh. A lot of Messiris Nefesh. And it just, and it didn't have to be, and it, it was a lot of commitment in a lot of Messiris Nefesh, which is a different topic. An example of that, did I put that on? I didn't put that in the sources, I'm sorry. Okay. An example of that, I don't want to spend time on it now because it's, time is flying, is Eliezer. Eliezer, the servant of Avraham, who starts off as Arur, right? Avraham says, your, your daughter can't marry my son Yitzchak because you're Arur and I'm Baruch. Well, that's a horrifying thing, right? It was the truth, but horrible thing to say because he's from Canaan. Right? He's a grandchild of Canaan. But at the end of the story, Lavan says, Bo Baruch Hashem, welcome, blessed one of God. Now that's recorded in the Torah, not because Lavan was flattering him, but because he had actually turned himself out into a Baruch. Okay? He was, if we think about the degree of despondency a person could feel, when having, you know, right, you've heard Rabbi Goldberg describe Eliezer, right? He's the Rosh Yeshiva of Avram's Yeshiva. He was the one who was Dole Umashke Torah's Rabbo, right? Eliezer Domesek. He dipped in his pitcher and he would pour out the, the water of his Rebbe's Torah to others. That, that's what it means. He was his main Talmud. And then when it came time for Yitzchak to get married, then suddenly his daughter's not good enough because he's Arur, not because of any of her personal qualities. But because of who his great-grandfather was now, or grandfather maybe, right now, he's not good enough. And then, but your daughter's not good enough, but could you go pick someone out? Like, how awful is that? You know, let me just go hide my face somewhere. Like, I have to now go and be the, right? He worked on himself. He said, Hashem, please help me find the right girl. Let me identify her by her chesed, because that's bracha, right? This is, he became 
he turned himself in that time from being someone who was Auror because he was from a family that was Auror, that has that contraction of blessing, and he opened up looking for bracha, and he became Baruch. He became Baruch because of the challenge posed to him by Avraham, but not through Avraham himself. It was, it, he no longer was about, in that avoda of finding Rivka, from Eliezer's point of view, he's not receiving from Avraham anymore. He was always dole omashke. He would receive and pass it on, which is actually pretty awesome, right? Mm. Like to be an Eved like that. But in this, he became himself. It was his own avoda. It was his own struggle and his own battle, and he became Baruch through it, which is like, that's like an awesome thing. It's an awesome example. Beis also goes to Baruch. The word Baruch is all twos, right? Two, two hundred, and twenty. Beis, Reish, and Chaf, that root. It's all that tunis. He became that through that personal development, not anything that someone could tell him directly. It was something he had to struggle on. It's that nismach, the hidden, the hidden word attached to the bracious that has to happen inside of you and has to develop in you where you learn and you learn and you learn, but then what do you do with it? It's not enough. You're not going to change just from listening. It comes in the moments where you have to try and struggle and apply it. Yavan... Pasuk Bays of Bracious. Oh, actually, before that, let me just read this little piece from the Gemara Shabbos in Gimel. My Mevarech, what's the bracha for Hadlakas Neres Hanukkah? Mevarech Hasher Kedeshanu B'Mitzvosav, V'Tzivanu L'Hadlik Ner Shal Hanukkah. V'Heichan Tzivanu. The bracha is that you, God, have sanctified us with mitzvos and commanded us to light the candle of Hanukkah. Where did God give us the commandment to light the candle of Hanukkah? Okay. This is like one of those like awkward questions. If you ask them in school, they give you funny looks, but the Gemara has no problem. Ravavaya Amar, mi lo sasor. We learn this from the Pasuk, lo sasor. Lo sasor min hadavar shayirucha yom in a small. You can't turn from what the Chachamim teach you left or right. Okay, so the Torah commands you to listen to the rabbis. So, Ner Hanukkah is a rabbinic commandment. There's not actually so many of those, there's only a few. But when they give it to you, the Torah says you gotta listen. So it's a a mitzvah d'oraisa to listen to a mitzvah d'orabanan. Rav Nechemya Amar, Sha'al avicha v'yagedcha, zekanecha v'yomulach. Ask your fathers and they will tell you. Ask your elders and they will give it over to you. The ha'aretaisa sohu vavohu. The earth was tohu vavohu. V'choshech al p'nei the earth was chaotic and, and uh, confused, and there was darkness on the face of the deeps, and the spirit of Hashem blew over the face of the waters. Rabbi Shimon ben Lakish pasar karaya begaluyos. Reish Lakish used to explain this pasuk as referring to the different galuyos. This is a summary of history, real quick. The Haaretz Haisasohu, the land was, was chaos, Zegolus Bavel. This corresponds to the Gullus of Babylonia. 
as it says, Raisias Arts Rahine Sohu. There are sources in each case where Rish Lakish saw that those sources were referring to that Golis, and they're hinted, the same word is used over here in this Pasuk. Vavohu, and um, confused, Ze Golis Madai, Vayafhilu Lahavies Haman, right? They, they confusedly kind of rushed Haman to the party of Esther. Vechoshech, darkness, Ze Golis Yavan. Darkness is Galus Yavan. They darkened the eyes of Israel with their decrees. Because the Yavanim told the Jews, Kisvu al Keren Hashor, write upon the horns of an ox, on the horn of an ox, that you have no share in the God of Israel. That's a toughie. What does that mean? Right on the horns of an ox. So that, that would also be another whole share by itself. I'll just point out, there's a, sometimes sort of like, why the horn of an ox? Okay, so let me just like keep things simple. Horns of oxes were used as baby bottles. I picture a chauffeur that hasn't been twisted. It's just kind of a curve. It's wide at one end, it's narrow at the other end. You drill a hole through, you use it as a baby bottle. That's how you feed small children. Hmm. So what do they see now when they look up? What are they being fed with their milk or with their baby cereal, right? A horn. <laughs> what they see is the words, we have no share in the God of Israel. Hmm. That's what they're telling them. Okay, it's a terrifying decree. They didn't try. This is the darkness of our eyes. Because the illumination of our eyes, Torah, which is related to the word or, illumination of our eyes would teach us that you look at the world and you see beyond it. That you look at a lesson and you see beyond it in yourself. That there's an internal world there. There's an internal world inside of you. There's a mission and a goal in life. You know, they, they had gods. But look at the Greeks. They have no concept of a world to come, really. It's really all like, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you will die. Which is a Greek philosophy, among others. Right? Epicurean. Okay. Uh, there's no... Like, the heavens and the gods are basically just stronger people to their mind. If you could trick them, you would. There's no depth there. There's nothing more in their god perception than themselves. This is a darkening of our eyes to say, we don't have a share... What do you mean, I don't have a share in the god of Israel? What else am I if not a share, a chilek of Elohim Mimal? That's who I am, right? There's more to me than that. There's more to the world than that. And that's what they sought to darken. It's like distraction. Oh, okay, so let's study it. I'm all for science. I'm, a, I'm into this, right? But where does it take you? What are you looking at? Do you only look so far? Do you take the chelik elokamimal, that greatest gift that God has given you, and then turn it around and use it to see nothing? And think that you're better than everybody else. I think you're better, but, but in <laughs> fact, what you've done is you've taken away your ability to see in yourself something deeper. Mm-hmm. You actually have minimized what you can see in yourself when you minimize what you can see of godliness in the world. Because it's all parts of it's all the panemius of the same type of chitzonius. Okay, so I want to end with this piece from Rav Hirsch. This is the piece from Chorev. He says it more concisely. There is um, 
there is, he expands on it more in Judaism eternal. Then when the faithful had fallen, when the weak were beginning to falter, when all that spelt Israel seemed lost, then arose Mattathias the son of Yochanan, the priest and his sons. He did not count the number of those who were like-minded. You know why he didn't count them, right? <laughs> you understand why he didn't count them? Okay, so there's Oliver Sacks, the neurologist, has a story about these uh, identical twins who had, they were severely, severely, severely autistic and did not interact with the world around them and they were in a home. Like they weren't even able to live independently. They were very, very low functioning in that sense. And he noticed after a while that they used to sit together and one of them would say a number and the other one would like smile as if he had said something cool and interesting and then they would like, they could sit for hours and then the next kid, next twin, they weren't kids, they were adults, would say a number. And he had, did not understand what was going on, but he sat there and lurked for a while. And eventually it occurred to him, he had the idea, are those prime numbers? So he went and got a table of prime numbers. You can't calculate prime numbers, right? You can discover prime numbers and then write them down. So there were tables of them. And sure enough, every time they were saying a number, it was a prime number. And these were huge numbers, five-digit numbers. And they weren't holding any tables. Mm -hmm. Now, they're not, you're not supposed to be able to calculate a prime number. They were sitting there, and each one would say the next prime number. After, hey, it might be a few hours between words, and they'd come out with a prime number. So he, ta he like surreptitiously like, looks at his table. He comes one day, he sits down, and after one of them says a number, he throws out a much bigger one. And they both looked at him in surprise. And then they both nodded, and they, they appeared to enjoy the fact that they had a new participant in this game. This was their game. The and game was you come up with the next prime number, five digits, six digits. Like, nobody knows how they did it. It right. shouldn't be calculatable, okay? If you dropped a matchbox, the same way if I spill out dice, I can see the number six or five or four. I don't have to count it. I can recognize that number. But if I spill out a box of matches, it's not a number I can recognize. Most people past about seven have to count or group. You could see like six and another six and know that it's 12. Okay. Most people after about seven, you can't calculate more. These guys could do like 637. It was like a very bizarre work of the brain. You know why Matisseau does isn't counting the number of like-minded people? Because <laughs> it's a number so small you could recognize it. You don't need to count it. When it's your five children and maybe a daughter, mm -hmm. you don't count them. You know them. He had faith in the spirit of God who endows the spirit with victory over ruthless violence. He rose up to fight against this devastating frenzy and caused the weakness of the faithful to be victorious, completely victorious over the violence of the presumptuously arrogant. This is Alhanisim, right? And just as God watched over the security of the spirit of Israel amid the violence and rage and caused the light of Israel to be rekindled by the flaming spirit, which it's supposed to be which, still shone pure in the breast of one man, so did he declare by a visible symbol that in time of desolation he watches over and is the spirit of Israel. As soon as the tyrants were banished, the land cleansed, and the temple purged of the idolatrous abominations, the temple lamp, the telling symbol of the God-created spiritual light of Israel, was rekindled. Okay, so the people, starting with Matisyahu, kindled a one small light in one man's heart, and then his family, and then that spread. And in response, Hashem showed them, right, the God-created spiritual light, the 
as a reflection back now of the, the inner, deeper spiritual side, right? But only one cruise of oil enough to last one day was found still undefiled. But lo, he who watches over Israel's spiritual light caused it to last for eight whole days until fresh oil was prepared. This sign our ancestors grasped fully. They got that. They realized Hashem is answering us. We gave him spiritual fire, and he's giving us spiritual fire. They raised it to a meaningful celebration of days of remembrance, which they instituted in commemoration of this event. Each year when the Hanukkah season recurs, lights are kindled in every home of Israel by every son of Israel, and the events of those days are celebrated in word and in song, paying homage to God. Thus the darkened courses of Israel are lit up by this message. The spiritual light of Israel will never be dimmed. And even if round about you, everything becomes defiled by the oppression of the time. So long as the light remains pure within the confines of only one house, or within the breast of only one man, live on joyfully amid all the wanton aberration, even die joyfully under the frenzy of a madman. For the spiritual life of Israel is saved. God watches over it. And even by the light of one man, he rekindles it anew. And it gives me those chills again yeah. every time I read it. Beautiful. But to me, this is the Hanukkah day. Something I can take from the night and bring it into the day. Mm-hmm. Which is, how strong is my fire? Doesn't matter. I don't for, no, not anybody else's. Mm-hmm. Mine. And can I cause it? Can I, can I raise it up? I don't know, blow on it a little, you know, like, can I raise it up? Because everything around me is telling me something different. There's horns of oxes everywhere, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't know. TV screens, I don't know. There's chachmahivanis everywhere around us, and it darkens our eyes, and it darkens us. But it doesn't have to put my fire out. It doesn't have to. That I, that, it's only me, and I can control that much. And then he says, live joyfully. Like, there's no despair after that. Because God doesn't need more than one little fire. One little container of oil is enough. So I could be the container of oil. Let me be that. So, today's not the last day of Hanukkah. Right? (laughs) It doesn't all end with the lighting. Because the lighting is the external act. And then there's an internal act that has to be demonstrated in that lighting. And that's what I want to make happen inside of me. Happy Hanukkah. Happy Beautiful. Hanukkah. Thank you so much. Thank you. See you.